Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit dogwood.church. We hope you enjoyed the message. Well, we are in uh, our fifth of six weeks uh, of our series called uh, We Can Work It Out, Resolving Personal Conflict. And uh, last week, we introduced uh, kind of the fourth phase of resolving personal conflict, and we dealt with the issue of, of forgiveness. And we, um, uh, we recognized, and I admitted last week, that this is such a big issue that we were going to take not only last week, but then today and next Sunday to drill down a little deeper and wider on um, what God has to say to us about this issue of forgiving uh, other parties who have intentionally uh, wounded us. And so here we go. So we're going to get right to work. Take your note sheet in your bulletin, grab a pen, uh, and uh, here, here we go. I, I've discovered that at least at some time in our lives, even as followers of Jesus, we may be handicapped by a, um, a mistaken uh, understanding of forgiveness. We misunderstand what God means when he commands us uh, to forgive those who harm us. Uh, I've listened to many people as a pastor over these uh, years uh, who say, Pastor, I just can't forgive. And many of them, not all, many of them were saying that as we continued the conversation and discovered many of them were saying that because of, again, a... Uh, uh, a misunderstanding of the nature of forgiveness, what God is telling us and teaching us and commanding us to do uh, when it comes to the matter of forgiveness. So today I want to talk to you about five really nice things that forgiveness is not. Okay, we're going to start start there this week. This uh, this is nice, but it's not forgiveness according uh, to God. Next week we'll talk about what forgiveness looks like, some of the behaviors. But today we're going to jump in, and so five big deals here. Number one, jot this down. First of all, uh, we may be mistaken. We may have a misunderstanding of the nature of forgiveness when we believe that forgiveness is forgetting, because forgiveness is not forgetting. Now, I touched on this last week, but I want to go further with it today. I, uh, when I was a nine-year-old boy, I went barefoot most of the summer growing up. And one day, I, I had the, the bicycle wrecks of all bicycle wrecks that, uh, just, that could qualify as one just short of taking you to the hospital. So uh, I was the picture of gravel rash uh, Uh, after that wreck. And one of the things I did, because I was barefoot, I tore up my big left toe. I mean, it was ugly and painful. I didn't break it. Might have been better if I did. My mom doctored me wonderfully. And uh, so that evening, I I went to sleep as usual. The next morning, she came in early and woke me up and said, with a kind of a worried look on her face, and she said, son, how are you? And I said, I'm okay, mama. And she said, well, you, you're okay after last night? And I said, what happened last night? She said, you don't remember? I said, don't remember what? And she told me, proceeded to tell me that in the middle of the night, I fell out of bed and I led with my left big toe. And she said she heard the crack of my foot hitting the floor and then the rest of me. And I, she said it was painful and I was crying. And she got up and calmed me down and put me back to sleep. 
beautiful. I had no memory of it. I went back to sleep. There was, I had no ability to recall the hurt or the pain. Still don't. Still don't. It was erased from my memory. That is what forgetting is. It is an erasure of memory. It is racing from our minds the memory of the hurts inflicted upon us by someone else. That we, um, uh, and if, if we could do that, if we could erase it from our memory, we would never need to forgive. What hurt? What harm? What wrong did they do to me? I don't know what you're talking about. That'd be nice, but it's not forgiveness. And so some of you are thinking that you cannot forgive because you can remember the hurt, the harm that someone else did uh, to you. But these are two different things, two completely different things. So take a look at this passage. It's on the screen. We've been looking at it every week of this series. Read it out loud with me in good voice. Ready? Here we go. Be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We've been reading this passage every week. So let's talk about that for a second. Look at that phrase, uh, just as Christ, uh, as in Christ God forgave you. Well, how did, he, how did he forgive us? What did it look like, feel like? What did he do? What did he not do when he uh, forgave us? You might ask, well, doesn't he for, forgive and forget our sin? Well, this is deep, so jot this down. No, he does forgive, but he doesn't forget. That's not what he says. In fact, he says he will remember our sins no more. Take a look at this in Isaiah forty-three twenty-five. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. And remembers your sins no more. So, well, Pastor, what's the difference between forgetting and remembering them no more? Well, it's subtle, it's nuanced, but there's a difference. Well, again, forgetting is an erasure of memory. Remembering our sins no more is a choice God's ma- God makes not to recall our sins any longer. He has the ability to do so. But because he has forgiven them, he chooses to remember our sins no more, not to bring them to mind any longer. There's a difference. So he is not saying that that he forgets our sins in the sense that our sins are erased from his memory. For God God can do all things. He has no limits uh, except those that are self-imposed. He self-limits. He says, I will not lie to you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. He could. He says, no, I won't, not I can't, I won't. He says, I will remember your sins no more. Not that I can't remember your sins any longer. I will remember them no more. He's saying, I choose to no longer bring them to mind that they may hinder our relationship. Uh, some of you will remember, recognize the name Corey Tinboom. Anyone? A few of you. Corey Tinboom was uh, in a... Uh, World War II death camp, German death camp, and her faith in Christ helped her survive it. It's all recorded in her classic book, The Hiding Place. I recommend that you get the book and read, read it. It's magnificent. And then read the follow-up uh, about her life afterwards called Tramp for the Lord. She traveled the world 
for all the years she had remaining after World War II, talking about the amazing grace of Christ and the power of Him to help you forgive and to live under any circumstances. In her second book, she tells the story about speaking at a church in Germany years after the war. Uh, One of her former uh, inmates in the death camp was her traveling companion. And uh, after she spoke, there was a receiving line and people, members of the church were coming by to, to, to greet her. And she noticed in the back of the line a man. He was very familiar. She noticed him. He had been a prison guard at that death camp, had been an evil man, done terrible things to the inmates. And as she noticed him, so did her traveling companion. And she poked her and she said, Corey, do you see that man? Do you remember him? Do you remember what he did to us? And she turned to her and said, no. She said, what? You don't remember? Of course you do. Don't you remember? She stopped her and she said, I distinctly remember deciding not to remember that anymore. That's what God does for us. He decides when we come to his, him for grace and forgives us as in Christ, God forgave us. How did he do it? He chose to recall our sins. No, Uh, longer. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It is deciding not to recall the memories of the hurt uh, when we still have the ability to do so. And Christ will give you that capacity. Second thing forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. Some of you might be thinking that you cannot forgive Uh, Or you think that forgiveness is saying, oh, it's no big deal, forget about it, it's okay, let's not worry about it any longer. Playing down the seriousness of the uh, offense. Well, can you imagine, can you imagine, any of you here imagine the family members of uh, murdered University of Iowa student Molly Tibbetts family standing before the press? And saying, oh, oh, it's not nothing. It's no big deal. Let's just forget it. How, how terrible would that be? That would not only be ridiculous, that would be terrible. Forgiveness is not minimizing uh, the, uh, the intentional wrong that has been done to us. For when we do so, we actually cheapen the forgiveness. Forgiveness is much bigger than that. And it's much more powerful and much more wonderful than that it is not minimizing the seriousness of uh, the offense. Third, forgiveness also is not an instant restoration of trust. Now, this in the next point, I want to camp out on a little bit. Um, let me. Uh, you, you you might be saying I can't forgive because you're confusing forgiveness with a requirement to instantly trust the party that wounded you again. Well, if I forgive them, that means I have to tr- I have to trust them again. I have to. Uh, No, no, they're not the same thing, not at all. Let me give a a common example. Let's say primarily this happens with uh, uh, you ladies. Let's say you're in a a relationship with a a man, a relationship with a spouse, and they're abusive, and they abuse you. They do it intentionally. They do it over and over again. Does God expect you to forgive them? Yeah. Does God expect you to forgive them? Yeah. Does God expect you 
to stay with them and stay in a position of possibly being hurt with no, because you forgive them. No. Say it with me. No. 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 Forgiving is one thing. Trusting is a completely different issue. Completely different issue. Uh, it doesn't, forgiveness does not mean that now you just simply have to trust them and believe that everything's going to be okay again just because you've forgiven them. No, not at all, because it may not be okay. It may not be okay. There's a difference between placing trust in an offender and forgiving them. They're not the same thing. They're not the same thing. Forgiveness must be instant, but trust must be rebuilt over time, and it is completely the responsibility of the offending party. Completely. The offender, the one who broke trust in a business partnership or relationship or friendship or marriage or whatever it is, the offending partner is responsible for rebuilding trust. They have to do that. I mean, it's clear in in God's Word. So when we say we must forgive the person that hurts you, when God says forgive your enemies, forgive those who harm you, bless those who curse you, um, when He says do that, it doesn't mean that you also immediately trust them again with no change happening uh, or that you have to believe that they have changed because they may not have changed one bit. Got it? Got it? So forgiveness does not mean instant restoration of trust. Now, this fourth issue is very similar. It's related. It's the other side of the coin. Forgiveness also is not resuming the relationship uh, without any changes. Whether it's a marriage, whether it's a friendship, whether it's, uh, again, a business partnership or, or, or whatever it may be, it does not mean resuming the relationship without any changes. Some of you are confusing forgiveness with reconciliation and restoration. Reconciliation and restoration are good things, are good things, and, but they must be done over a period of time when trust is rebuilt. For example, you don't say... I forgive you, now let's, we go immediately back to the way it was. You don't say that. Forgiveness is not just accepting people as they are. Many times the offending party will say to you or, or to me, you know, this is just the way I am, you, you just have to forgive me. Well, I might have to forgive you, but I don't have to connect with you any longer. Just the way I am. Because, and if that's you, who you say that often, just the way you are stinks. And so there, there's some repentance that needs to come. Trust is built over time, and it must be rebuilt by the person who broke uh, trust. Uh, forgiveness is not the same as reunion of the relationship. It, it takes three more things on the, par, on the uh, part of the offender or the offending party. And here's what they must do. They mu- here they are on the screen. They must repent. They must make restitution and they must rebuild trust. This takes a long time when trust has been broken. It takes a long time. Repentance means genuine sorrow and repentance that results in a change of heart and direction and behavior. Restitution is part of the evidence of genuine repentance, which means if something has been taken and can be restored, it must be repaid, plus the Bible kind of gives the standard of 15%. If it's financial or material, it's payback plus 15%. 
restitution. Rebuilding of trust is showing trustworthiness over a long period of time until someone is, until the offended party is completely assured that there has been, uh, there has been change. Now, when, uh, when you and I forgive someone who has hurt us, we are simply doing the thing that is required of us by God. Not, not simply, it's a big deal. And it removes one of the barriers to the relationship, and that is the barrier that we have, the sense of being violated. And when we have a sense of being violated, it, it, it creates, uh, Colossians chapter 3 describes it, it, it creates these kinds of feelings and behaviors in us. Anger, rage, hostility, bitterness, malice, slander, resentment. That's where that comes from, a sense of being violated, and that's our, that's our response. Now, it's a natural response. You say, was well, that sinful? Well, it depends on whether or not you decide to hang on to it or not. It's a natural response uh, as a human being, but God says if you hang on to it, it's destructive and sinful. It will destroy you. And we're also upside down that we, we start to enjoy our anger and our rage and our resentment and our malice and our slander. And, uh, and we slowly uh, drink the poison that we thought we'd created for the offending party, and it destroys us. And so when we forgive someone, God removes that from our hearts over a period of time, keeps us from destroying ourselves there because he loves us so much. And that's the obstacle that our forgiveness uh, removes. Now, but in order to restore the relationship, the person who has offended you has to remove the other obstacle, that is, the, the lack of total lack of trust. And they do so only by um, practicing the three big things we've already mentioned. Genuine repentance, restitution, and rebuilding of trust. The actions that, and behaviors that rebuild trust over a long period of time. And by the way, if you're the offending party, here's something you don't have. A, you, you never have the right to say you're supposed to forgive me. You just, you just dug the hole deeper, fool. I mean, come on. Yeah, now, you, you don't get to say that. God gets to say that. You don't get to say that. I don't get to say that if I'm the offending party. Uh, that's a, there's a theological term for that. It's, really, it's called stupid. <laughs> it, it's just relational stupidity. And, um, or as my grandmother would say, sorriness, he's sorry. Now she wasn't talking about that. He was repenting. He's sorry. It means no count. He's a goofball. He's a doofus. Put it in reverse and back up. It's, that's a very loose gr- translation of the Greek in the new Testament there. And so, um, uh, so th- that's the way that works. Now the offending party may never do these things. And if they don't, the relation you don't the relationship's not restored. It's not stored, restored. You do we do our part because God commands it. It's the right thing. It's the good thing. It's the holy thing. It's the healthy thing uh, for us. That, uh, but some of you, some of you, been hurt so badly by someone uh, that you love very deeply. So to, even to hear this subject 
Disgust is very painful for you. The idea of forgiveness may be almost unthinkable for you. That's okay. Just follow God anyway. He'll walk you through this messy, hard uh, journey. But let's be very clear uh, about uh, that forgiving and reunion of relationship are not the same thing. It takes one person to forgive, it takes two to be reconciled, and the, and the majority of the responsibility is the offending party. They have to do that. So, forgiveness is not forgetting, forgiveness is not minimizing the seriousness of the offense, forgiveness is not an instant restoration of trust, forgiveness is not resuming the relationship without any changes on the part of the offending party, and number five, forgiving is not exempting one from the demands of justice. It does not exempt the offending party from the demands of justice. Forgive. Some of you are saying, well, I can't forgive... Because do they get go, go scot free if I forgive? They'll go scot free if I forgive. No, they won't. God doesn't operate that way. Justice is never compromised with forgiveness. Now, remember, let's go back to our key passage, Ephesians chapter four, verse thirty-two, that says we are to forgive in the same way that God in Christ forgave us. Well, let's talk about the issue of justice in that. When when those of you who have repented of your sins, placed your trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, for your forgiveness and uh, new and eternal life. When, when God forgave you, He did not do away with justice and moral accounting. He didn't. We just sang about it in this great, that great hymn, the last hymn we sang, How Great the Father's Love for Us. Download those lyrics and meditate on those every morning this week. How great the Father's love for us. He, uh, when, when, he, uh, when he provided forgiveness for us, he didn't just say, ah, like an old doting grandfather like I am. Ah, it's okay. No, no, no. He, he forgave, but then he went and paid the, paid the tab himself. That's why we sing how great the Father's love for us. He demonstrated his love for us in this while Christ while we were still sinners Christ died for us in our place because of our sin he paid the full penalty now this is anecdotal some of you researchers may could help me I'd love to have confirmation of this but I have read over the years the, uh, a story about Mayor LaGuardia uh, in New York City years and years ago that when he was mayor from time to time, he liked to go down and sit on the bench as mayor, as judge at night court, kind of see what was happening with his citizens on the streets. One night they brought in, a man was brought up on charges of shoplifting. He was homeless. He was hungry. He had shoplifted a loaf of bread out of a market and been caught. They brought him to court. Here's a guy that doesn't have a place to live, doesn't have enough to eat. He's in court. They presented the charges, and uh, Mayor LaGuardia, acting as judge that night, passed the harshest sentence could, you could for the crime. It was very harsh, dressed him down about how terrible this was. It's, it kind of shocked everybody. thought he'd be a little more compassionate. Passed sentence on him, toughest fine, and then he got down off the bench and went and sat in, next to the guy in the chair, and he paid the fine. I'm going to sit in his place. I'll be the guilty one. I'll take it on me. 
That's what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. He did not exempt you from the, us from the demands of justice. He forgave us and found a way to satisfy fully his demands as justice and a holy God. We say, why would he do that? <laughs> That's why we call it what? Amazing. 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 It's stunning. It's shocking. Why should I gain from his reward as we sang? I cannot give an answer. It's not we the preachers like me have been trying to explain it and celebrate it, and, and we, there's just not enough words for it that he fully satisfied justice. He is a just God. Simultaneously, he's a loving, gracious God, and found a way for moral and spiritual fallops just like you and me to go free, free. So that's not fair. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, do you want to be treated fair? Thank, me neither. I want grace. Why? Because if you, if you and I get fair, we're burning in hell like toast for eternity. Now you say, I'm not that bad. Well, how bad do you think you got to be? That's a whole other sermon. Don't have time to go there. But, uh, but you see, forgiveness, therefore, how, how in Christ, God in Christ forgave us. We're to forgive the same way. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't do away with justice. In 1981, some of you were long enough, uh, old enough to remember 1981. We, um, uh, Pope John Paul was, was shot by a man and made international news by going to the jail and forgiving him. And a, uh, a journalist wrote about that amazing act, which was wonderful. Here's what the journalist wrote. One forgives in one's heart in the sight of God as the Pope did, but the criminal still serves his time in Caesar's jail. He was forgiven, but he still served the time. There's some punishment there. Justice will be served. Uh, God said himself in Numbers fourteen eighteen. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion, yet He does not leave the guilty unpunished. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Somebody's going to pay. Somebody's going to pay. He decided to pay for us. But forgiveness is not the same as doing away with justice. It is not the same. Now, you and I can hang on to these five nice things and understand them rightly, and we can still be to- we can still destroy ourselves by hanging on to our resentment and our malice and our slander and our bitterness over the offense that was done to us. We must forgive. We must forgive. Now, those of you who are Christians, you might be saying, "Now, Pastor, I don't always live up to that." I know. Me too. That's why we still need a Savior. Where does the power come from to become this kind of person who can offer forgiveness when they've been genuinely wounded? It comes by denying ourselves, placing our faith in Jesus, surrendering to Him. And the Scriptures say in Philippians chapter 2, about verse 12 or 13, that He is at work in us both to desire and to do what pleases Him. He will be, when we yield to Him, Lord, I'm, I'm weak, but You are in me. Give me a new heart. Give me Your grace and Your power to forgive. And guess what? He will. 
He will. And so we, we pray for that. Some of you just need a reminder that as you're dealing with a tremendous hurt in your life, go to the Lord every day and say, okay, Lord, I can't do this on my own. Don't even want to do it on my own. So I need you to change my wanter and my doer. Help me. And he will. He says he will. It's right there. He's already said he would. So we keep it up. We just keep walking with him, and you'll find he will do this very thing. He will do it. Now, others of you here who are not yet followers of Jesus, you might be saying, well, Keith, how do I begin this? Well, it all begins by becoming a Christian. It begins by becoming a follower of Christ, for he is the one who can turn us into the kind of person who desires and does live in this pattern of forgiveness. And here's how you do it. Here's how you become a Christian. Let me get really clear. I've already expressed it some. In Jesus Christ, God the Father did something for you and me that we could not do for ourselves. He left heaven and came to earth in the form of a man and yet was without sin. And he went innocently to the cross. And while he was hanging on the cross, God the Father arranged for him somehow for all of your sin and my sin and the sin of all human beings to be laid upon him. He took upon himself uh, the responsibility for all of our sin and he atoned for it fully. We can't comprehend how big of an atonement that was, but he atoned for it fully. And then he rose from the dead proving that he was who he said he was and that he had the power to do that very thing. And offers to us who put our trust in Him forgiveness and uh, uh, eternal life and, and the ability to live under His wonderful care and supervision in this life, uh, turning us into the kind of people He wants us to be in this life. Now, some of you who've, who've not been Christians yet, you understand now and you are now ready, maybe for the first time, to say to him, Lord Jesus, I, I am ready to turn from my sin and my self-righteous, self-directed uh, life and put my faith and trust in you. And I want to do that right now. And if you do so, you're going to be changed by the amazing grace of uh, Christ and receive not only forgiveness, but all these other, other benefits. And so if you would like, if that's you, and you'd say to me right now, Pastor, I'm ready to uh, give my life to God through Jesus, just as you've described. I want to give myself to him this morning. Just lift up your hand. We had two, two adults in the last service commit their life to Christ. I'm going to pray for you. Anybody? Anybody? Okay, anybody? Okay, let's pray. I want to, if this is you, just repeat this prayer from your heart to the Lord Jesus. Dear Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I now turn from it and I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiving my sin and giving me eternal life. Take control of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. To the best of my understanding, I give myself to you. Amen. Now, for those of you who made that commitment just now, there's one other thing that Jesus requires. It's actually the next step of obedience. He desires for you to go public with your faith, to confess Him before men. Take a look on the screen at the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 10. 
He said, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. And Jesus even instituted the method that he uh, desires and requires that we use to go public, public with our faith. It's called baptism, believer's baptism, Christian uh, baptism. And we are prepared to help you celebrate your baptism here today. Uh, when the service is over, if you'd go out these doors through the lobby, out onto the patio and turn to the right, you'll find yourself at our outdoor baptism area. The men and women on our baptism team are already there and they are prepared uh, with everything you need to go public with your faith in Christ, to celebrate publicly this personal faith you have placed in Jesus. Uh, We have changes of clothes, we have towels, we have uh, changing areas, and again, men and women there ready to uh, assist you. So as soon as the service is over, you go right there, right there. Now, the rest of us, There'll be some people celebrating with you there. The rest of us, when the service is over, we're going right down the hill to celebrate groundbreaking. It'll start at 1230, so we'll see you there. But uh, others of you who may have made a spiritual commitment, indicate it on your dogwood response card. Put it in the offering basket when it is passed, and our team will respond to you this week with materials in the mail, uh, with prayers. Uh, We'll call and and set up confidential uh, spiritual coaching appointments to help you take your next best step with Christ. We want to do that. So pray with me. Lord, thank you that you have made a way for us not only to be reconciled to you, but to be reconciled to our brothers and sisters in this world, our neighbors when we are in conflict. Thank you that you've made a way for us to build our lives on your love. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dogwood Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the message. For more information and other sermons, visit dogwood.church. If you would like to give to Dogwood Church, you can use your smartphone and text keyword DOGWOOD to 77977 or click the Give link online. You can now download the Dogwood Church app for Apple and Android devices for podcast, video, and to give.